As I said earlier, today is the fourth and final Sunday of Advent. Um, In the weeks leading up to Christmas, the church has traditionally spent time in sober contemplation of the full meaning of the coming of Christ. Why is his coming such good news? Why did we need him to come in the first place? We want to feel the weight of the darkness in our own hearts and in the world around us, which should increase our sense of longing as we anticipate both the birth and the return of our Savior. Today, we will be looking at the Song of Mary in Luke chapter 1. This song is often called the Magnificat, which is just derived from its opening line. My soul magnifies the Lord. Magnificat. At this point in the story, Mary is pregnant. She is carrying within her body the creator of her body. Her womb has become the dwelling place for God. And so in that sense, Mary has become the embodiment of the temple, the place where God dwells. And this imagery is reinforced in verse 41 when Mary arrives at the house of Zechariah and Elizabeth. We are told that the baby in Elizabeth's womb leaps for joy. So just like King David leaps for joy at the arrival of the Ark of the Covenant, So John leaps for joy at the arrival of Mary. In both cases, a vessel carrying the very presence of God arrives and a faithful servant leaps for joy. And immediately, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit and she says, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? You see, Elizabeth knew that something special was happening because her own pregnancy had been miraculous. Zechariah and Elizabeth were too old to have children, and yet they conceived. And an angel had told them that their son would prepare the way for the Lord, prepare the way for the Messiah. And so Elizabeth was already on the lookout when the boy in her womb leapt for joy upon the arrival of her cousin Mary. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the the mother of my Lord should come to me? And like a musical, Mary's reply to Elizabeth comes in the form of poetry and verse. Mary starts singing. And when when we read these lyrics, we don't have to look, sorry, we don't have to look very hard to see that Mary's understanding of Christmas is very different than our popular understanding of Christmas. God has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. For Mary, Christmas is about justice. Not Not a future spiritualized form of justice, but a right here, right now, on this earth, in this life type of justice. For Mary, Christmas is about the strong arm of the Lord. Christmas is a sign that the poor and lowly are being lifted up. Christmas is a sign that the strong and powerful and prideful are being deposed. They're being brought down. As we read in Luke chapter 3, every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places become level ways. It's the same idea. The fact 
that Mary's virgin womb was home to a baby boy meant that the world was being turned upside down. How did Mary know this? Well, I think because she knew her Bible. These lyrics are the lyrics of a young woman who was steeped in the scriptures. She knew the promises. She knew the prophecies. She knew what to expect. In remembrance of his mercy, she says, Yahweh God is coming to fulfill his promises to Abraham and to Abraham's offspring. And Mary was the first to see how all of these pieces were starting to fit together. You see, the story of the Bible can be summarized as the story of faithful women raising up faithful sons to crush the head of the serpent. That was the very first covenant promise made by God. His foundational promise was the promise of a seed, the promise of a child to come. And so Mary was just the latest in a long line of faithful women who bore sons in fulfillment of this promise. Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Hannah, the list goes on. But of course, Mary was unlike all the others. She was a virgin, of course. That was new. But more than that, her son was to be the final embodiment of this promise. Her son was coming to crush the head of the serpent once and for all. That is what Mary has in mind when she talks about the world being turned upside down. The promised child is coming. And in him, all the promises of God are going to find their yes. Verse 54. God has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. You see, God promised Abraham that all, that all the families of the earth would be blessed through him and through his offspring. And Jesus is, again, the final embodiment of his offspring. Jesus is the great son of Abraham who has come to bless the nation. But of course, this is, this is not actually good news for everyone indiscriminately. For the humble, for those of low estate, for the burdened and the oppressed, the birth of Christ is very good news. But for the prideful and the powerful who oppress the poor and the humble, the blessing of the birth of Christ is actually a sign that unless they repent, their days are numbered. He will bring them down. In order to lift up the humble, Jesus must also bring down the prideful. We think about, when we think about Christmas, we don't normally think about the world being turned upside down like this. But at the same time, I think we feel the appropriateness of it. The birth of Christ is more than a merely spiritual revolution. The birth of Christ does more than signal a future redemption. There are present implications. It is right and fitting that the coming of the Lord would turn this current world upside down. And ultimately, that's what some of the best Christmas hymns are tapping into. He rules the world with truth and grace, present tense, and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness. Peace shall over all the earth its ancient splendors fling, and the whole world send back the song which now the angels sing. 
Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother. And in his name, all oppression shall cease. These songs agree with Mary. The advent of Jesus is turning the world upside down. The advent of Jesus is bringing light to the nations. The advent of Jesus is restructuring the global geopolitical scene. Joy to the world. Peace on earth. These are not just empty, sentimental holiday greetings. These are not just cute phrases for writing on an old piece of shiplap. These are revolutionary ideas. Ideas that have changed the world in the past and ideas that will change the world in the future. Christmas brings a new world order and this new world order is our only true hope for peace. You know, world peace is not a pipe dream. World peace is the future. And it looks like every nation submitting to the lordship of Christ and proving his righteousness by learning from him and living accordingly. Christians have been singing Mary's song, the Magnificat, for centuries. Some traditions sing it every day during evening prayer. The song clearly has a politically powerful and revolutionary message, and the nations of the world know this. On a number of occasions, governments have actually banned the recitation of the Magnificat. They know this is a powerful song. It's still powerful. It's still relevant for the church. God is still saving the humble and bringing justice to tyrants. God is still displaying his power through service and sacrifice and suffering. God is still making good on those promises to Abraham. But I I think if the church is going to sing this song and study this song and take this song to heart, we have to be wise and responsible. The Magnificat is not a call for perpetual revolution. It's not a call to overthrow those in power simply because they have power. As though power were a bad thing in and of itself. God is all powerful. God empowers us. So power can be a good and godly thing. And when the nations of this world use their power to pursue justice and build healthy societies under the lordship of Jesus... We should commend them for that. We should help them accomplish that. But on the other hand, when the nations of this world use their power to oppress people and to rebel against the clear will of God, the church is right. And I would say responsible for singing and praying these words to the Lord. Bring down the mighty from their thrones. Turn the world upside down. And yet, we see that God doesn't only work on a universal scale. He's not just interested in geopolitical systems and structures, right? Look at how Mary begins her song. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. God has looked upon my humble estate. He who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. 
Before Mary sings about the universal implications of the birth of Christ, she sings about the personal implications of the birth of Christ. She sings about the Lord's intimate care and concern for her. The God of the universe sees her. This poor, scandalized teenage girl. Caesar is on his throne. Herod is in his palace. The high priest is in the temple. But when God wants to do something new, he calls upon this ordinary and overlooked young woman. And even today, for us, when we come to that realization, it's a a powerful, powerful thing. The God of the universe sees me. In the midst of all the darkness and chaos and brokenness, God sees me and God wants to use me. You may feel small. Mary felt small. You may feel like a cog in the system. You may feel like your small acts of faithfulness ultimately amount to nothing. It's a drop in the bucket. But God sees. He looks upon the humble estate of his servants and he exalts us. God does some of his best work through ordinary and overlooked people and things. It's not just the megachurches or the Christian politicians. It's also the small church plant made up of a group of people who sincerely love one another and want to see the kingdom come in their neighborhood. It's there too. He sees that too. In Acts chapter 17, an angry mob of people approach the Roman authorities accusing the Christians of claiming allegiance not to Caesar, but to this guy named Jesus. The early Christians were known, sorry, the Christians were a threat to the empire. They truly were. Their message was a politically subversive message. Listen to how the mob describes the Christians. The angry mob tattles to the authorities, calling the Christians those who have turned the world upside down. The early Christians were known as those who turned the world upside down. They didn't just sing the Magnificat. They lived the Magnificat. In the name of King Jesus, they turned the world upside down. These ordinary, overlooked fishermen, tax collectors, former prostitutes, sparked a social revolution. So how does the Magnificat teach us to observe the season of Advent? It teaches us to praise God for his holiness and faithfulness. It teaches us to thank God for his grace to each of us individually and also his grace to all of us as a covenant community. It teaches us to pray for truly a social revolution, also known as the coming of the kingdom of God. But it's not just Mary's lyrics. It's also Mary herself. We have a lot to learn from Mary herself. We learn from Mary how to be the church. We learn from Mary how to be the church. She was humble, faithful, filled with the Holy Spirit, and God made her fruitful. 
We are ultimately incapable of fulfilling our calling apart from divine intervention, just like Mary. But because, <clears throat> but because God fills us, because God fills us, we become the vehicle, the vessel, the earthly host through which the king and his kingdom are coming into the world. The church is the great mother of the coming kingdom. We are humbly and quietly nurturing the Christian future into the present. The kingdom has come, but the kingdom is also coming. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are giving birth to it by our faithfulness, just like Mary. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in remembrance of your mercy, as you spoke to our fathers, you have saved us. You have come to us. You have kept all your promises in the person of your son. Jesus, we declare you to be the king of all kings. And we ask that you would bring to the earth your just and righteous rule, your just and righteous kingdom. Holy Spirit, make us fitting vessels for the glory you have given to us. Teach us to sing like Mary. We magnify you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.